the airy mountain, down the rushing glen. We dare not go a-hunting for fear of little men. Do other races exist just beyond the boundaries of humankind? Legends of their existence persist across many cultures. So, what are these creatures? Beings of myth and magic? Guardians of nature? Or malign entities from darkest folklore? Join your guides Dan Baines and Fiona Marr in their quest for the truth. Welcome to episode nine of the Fairy Podcast. I'm Fiona Marr and my co-host is Dan Baines. Hi there, welcome to the show. We've got a very special show today, haven't we, Fiona? Indeed. Uh, we were lucky enough to interview Sebastian Mankiewicz, who's the writer behind the really enigmatic Radio 4 series, Pilgrim, which is all about a man who's cursed in medieval times, his pilgrim, on the road to Canterbury, and he decides that the king of fairies doesn't exist, fairies don't exist, denies the whole thing, and is cursed then to walk the earth forever. And it's a very intriguing series. I know you've gone into it, haven't you, Dan? I have, yeah. I was very late to the game, and I know you've been banging on about it for years. You need to listen to Pilgrim, you need to listen to Pilgrim. So um, only a week ago, obviously, because you'd arranged uh, the interview with Sebastian, I thought I'd better gen up on the actual show so i've actually binge listened to i think six seasons in one week in the studio and i'm hooked it is fantastic and i just don't know why i didn't do it sooner well there you go anyway here's our fabulous interview with sebastian himself tales told on these islands, few are as strange as that of William Palmer. Cursed, apparently, on the road to Canterbury in the spring of 1185 for denying the presence of the other world by the king of the grey folk, or fairy himself, and compelled to walk from that day to this between the worlds of magic and of men, and subsequently known in all the strange and wonderful lore attributed to the mysterious William Palmer as Pilgrim. We're both huge fans. I have been for ages and ages. Pilgrim came to me uh, to light. I'd written a book called The Last Changeling and a couple of people have said that's vaguely like um, Pilgrim, except in my case, the guy who's almost the buffer between fairy and, and the real world is a fairy, but that's another story. So going on to your name, you're of Polish-Irish heritage, but you've got this encyclopedic knowledge of English folklore. So obviously growing up here, but, but have you learnt as you've gone along or was it already a big thing with you? No. <laughs> <laughs> next question. <laughs> it's, yeah, next. next. No, it, I, I'd always, well... How to put it? How to say it? So I'd always, I'd gravitate, almost by instinct as an author, I moved toward myth and looking at myths. Um, and some of my first work I did for radio was a series of three plays I wrote about America, which at the time I'd never been to, but I had received, if you see what I mean, like everyone else through culture. And but I was interested in the myth of America and the myths of America and how they affect that. That sounds very conscious. It wasn't really. It was quite accidental. Um, but I realized that I'd always been thinking about that. And I became, I'm not quite sure what started it, but I became more and more interested in the fact that these islands, the British Isles, so-called, and Ireland, of course, and 
down France, well, all everywhere, but specifically here, because was a kind of lost culture of storytelling and, and folk stories. And that there's barely an inch of this very small islands that's not got a story or a myth or a fairy or a supernatural or a, just a just an old what used to be called very on PC an old wives' tale or something like that. And I became um, just really interested in that and why they had gone and why say Shakespeare was full of these stories and what had happened and I my pet theory is that it's a kind of post-reformation cultural revolution thing where everything that whole thing got sort of sat on and you know we're all reasonable people now and these these silly stories are not have no purchase um but i felt that they did and i just gradually got more interested and i couldn't think of a way to and i knew i wanted to make something of them but i knew i didn't just want to tell old story you know in a, in a, in a, and a, that's sort of never been of any interest to me so um and i was never any kind of a fantasy fan either so the whole things were uh purely out of you know kind of just serendipitous really i just sort of came across things and i started to think about different ways of making them work yeah i found that when i was writing i'd find coincidentally something would pop up I was writing about and it would be really obscure and weird and suddenly in the news, you know, very, very odd. Um, but yeah. I spoke not long ago to Susanna Clark. Oh, um, yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah, and we were talking about Piranesi, her latest book, and I said that the names she chose for the statues in the book were kind of halfway down memory lane. And this is very much the feel I get with your writing because the names you choose of your characters, you know, it's so close to proper, proper folklore, but brilliant, brilliant inventions, you know, which is what makes Pilgrim work so well. But you mention, I mean, I love the way you mention stuff as throwaway. You mentioned corpse roads, you know, and stuff like that, and Black Shook. And of course, you've got the lanes in one of your stories, which yeah, is just yeah. glorious. I really love that. Um, oh, by the way, have you come across Hookland? by David Southwell on Twitter. Um, I've heard of it. Someone has mentioned it, but I haven't actually heard it. Yeah, really, really interesting. He makes a big deal of the lanes. But with this, where I'm drawing up to in the question is, you've got this whole idea that, that the realm of fairy is a hair's breadth away, which is brilliant. That's what it is in all the folklore. I've wondered, and this is going to sound very odd, but we're very much into this. Have you had any odd encounter or strange happening or anything like that i would love to say yes oh. <laughs> every day i would love to say um i have had i don't know if it's i i no i've never had a kind of encounter with anything supernatural in that way and or, or an odd happening at all or anything odd happenings yeah. and i've i've you know, like a lot of people sense things and places and felt connected. Um, and not just in a supernatural way, I mean, a kind of in a cultural way as well, a kind of deep connection to places and their, and their meanings. Um, I've never, no, I mean, I can't say, but I mean, the kind of the, I've had eerie, eerie experiences. I think a lot of people have had those kind of things. You know. Possibly, yeah. Would you like to expand on one of them? Well, it's not, I don't know. Well, um, I've, I'm trying to kind of, I'm trying to think of something to, and be true and not, not elaborate it as is my want. Um, that's, that's the curse of the writer, I'm afraid. It is the curse of the writer. And also because, you know, I've had kind of, you know, a real connect landscape, which is very important in Pilgrim. And it's not, uh, it's definitely part of all the work that I, I tried to do. I'm, I'm a real keen on people getting outside. There's a very strong English tradition of plays set in rooms with, and I felt that that's great, but there's lots of them. And I, on the radio particularly, you can do anything and there's no budget 
So yes, of course, no, no limit to your budget. So and, just, and do you actually go to places at all? Have you been to you know various? I have done. You know, I used to. Um, I wrote a lot of it in Dorset. A friend of mine very kindly has a cottage down there, which he uh, lets me use basically. And uh, I find I kind of I need to kind of be connected to the sea and the landscape around me and. I find that a great source of inspiration. So I suppose if I have experiences, I think it's clambering up old places. I mean, I think like a lot of people um, in the 90s, I I think, yeah, if I'm really honest, yeah, I think it started in the 90s, which was when Julian Cope, great Julian Cope, published his Gazetteer. And I, I was just, was all, I, was, I was always a fan of Julian Cope. So I liked him as a musician, but, and, but when this book came out, I was just blown away by it. And the, I loved that he'd done all that clambering about and gone to all those places. And definitely whenever I go anywhere, I'm always trying to find one. You know, I, I'm always, like I've been in Wales and, you know, I, I will clamber over those eight fields to get to that one rock. Yeah. Yes, that's brilliant. Yeah. And you feel it in the writing as well. And lots of places you think, oh, he's been there. Yeah, I, I mean, I've always changed the plot. I mean, I, when I first wrote the first series, I, they were places that were real, you know. Uh, Willie Howe was a real place. And, and I felt, as it went on, I thought I didn't actually just want to write kind of dramas, go, oh, I've been there. I know exactly where that is. And I felt like I wanted to have the freedom to, to use, obviously use places, but not necessarily like say this is... Yeovil. Well, that, that's, yeah, that's what I meant when I said, you know, the names are halfway down memory lane. You can imagine, you know, hill, you know, it really. Yeah, these places will have a kind of, yeah, so you just. Got that I, resonance. Yeah, the resonance is everything, I think. I think that's how stories work as well. I think everything works on a, res, a resonance of, of things. And I think that resonance is in our culture as well. I mean, that's what drew me to it, was this places and experiences um, almost in kind of, not conflict exactly, but almost in opposition to the, the world we live in now, which is very quick and is Zoom and high and we'll do this and we'll do that. That um, actually the resonances in people's lives and the cultural power of people's lives um, doesn't go away. And people and people sort of live live with them, but I don't. I think perhaps I'm going to be very again speculative that maybe in the past people were more content with those residences. They recognised them as being part of their identity, their cultural, and whereas now people tend to be more flip about it. I think you're singing to the choir with Pilgrim because I think the Radio Four audience. A fairly au fait with a, a you know a kind of different strand of culture without wishing to sound elitist about it you know you also you touch on the idea of music which is incredibly important all the way through pilgrim you know i listen to stuff and i think ah you know okay i haven't heard that in a few years um yeah it became a kind of it became a sort of um the music is really important i don't use it flippantly i try to make sure that i know why a piece is is there but in a character like uh, Randall, you know, that he listens to ELO and Dreamweaver and, you know, so he's kind of at that and has friends called New Wave Dave. And it's that sort of very uncool <laughs> end of the... <laughs> That's half of the fun because it is uncool, but I love the way it sets up the anachronism between William Palmer and you know, the age of the man and what's going on around him now, you know. And I, I like that you didn't fall into the world-weary trap with with him. I mean, I want to call him Billy, but I won't, William Palmer. Um, he's just got this, um, he always wants to help. Now, I know part of it is trying to help himself because he wants to die. You know, we will explain that at the beginning to, to anybody, any new listeners, because we are hoping to get you a raft of new listeners off the back of this. But I just feel that the way he's handled, I mean, he is the absolute hero, isn't he? I mean, 
all the women fancy him all the time. Dan was saying you notice how often he gets kissed, you yeah. know? I was, I was I'm a bit late to the party, so Fiona keeps banging on about Pilgrim. You've got to listen to it. You've got to listen to it. So I've binged five seasons in the last three days in the studio. And uh, one thing that really stood out to me was the fact, like, man, he gets kissed a lot. And I was like, <laughs> But then I kind of, in my head, I didn't know how to picture him. But then when I saw a picture of Paul Hilton, he was almost the character I had in my head already, but kind of raggedy, but quite looking. I've, that's quite interesting. You t- no one's ever asked me about that. I've never thought about that before. I mean, I don't, he gets kissed a lot in thanks, I think. You know, it's like an affection for him. I think he, he has a... He's like everybody's dad, isn't he? Trying yeah, to I think he's like right. a dad, brother. I mean, there's definitely... A couple of there's one character with whom there's more than there's something, but they can't do anything with it. Um, which is charity in one of the who comes back, um, and that's definitely something could be, but they can't be. It's that's the curse of him, and also that people will die, you know, that he will not, they will. Um, so that that kind of sort of deep, just the kind of natural knowledge that that's how things are going to play out um yeah and going on to the paul hilton thing as well have you found that i mean has he i mean he's obviously added with that wonderful voice and presence he's got but have you found writing is easier now you've got paul's voice in your head i mean has it modified anyway paul coming on board i don't know if i can answer that i mean obviously it must have done um but I'm not conscious of it. <clears throat> I don't feel that the, ca- the character that first started appearing before I knew Paul is that, but definitely, you know, the resonance of him, but you can't play a voice. You can't write, a, you can only hear a rhythm. And I think what he picked up was that sense of, um, that he's been there before, that he, there's nothing. There's that, nothing new to him. There's is nothing the, new to know. him, that he's sort of had experience of it before and has experience of um, the irrational, which was always a huge part of the whole thinking behind Pilgrim, which was always about how if somebody wants to believe the moon lives in a puddle, then they will believe that and they will move. And when I started writing Pilgrim in 2009 or eight or nine, um, that stuff was like, now people believe anything. So there's a kind of, there was a kind of, as a writer, there was always a sort of sense that I was really interested in exploring. You know, there's a tradition in uh, English theatre, British theatre, English theatre, and well, you know, it's quite rational and reasoned and people have a disputatious conversation about whatever it is and they come to a conclusion and they, they, they blow it. And I... I think this is a background, my cultural background, didn't have that. I felt that people behave extraordinarily badly on the most threadbare of beliefs, which, which don't bear much examination. Well, we have seen that across the Atlantic with certain goings on there, you know? Well, that's, I think, one of the more, I take no, I take no uh, pride in kind of seeing that in the in the, in the how people behave and how fatal it can be so there's you know, there's more than kissing there's killing in uh, in pilgrim and people die you know and they really do die and some of them very horribly often as a consequence of this irrationality this there's one uh, gallastone hill which is about the ocean liner croupier turned prophet <laughs> who digs up the armor and becomes the angel and, you know, he kills people, you know, and there are riots and it's bad. And, um, and he believes he's the one who can lasso the moon into a puddle and nothing can stop him. But it, it's still, I, I, again, it's this crossover. You've got your normal, ordinary people with extraordinary things happening to them. I love the one where the guy turns into a hare. I think that's just wonderfully, beautifully acted. Just, yeah. just an excellent story. What other writers have actually, it's probably a boring question for you, probably been asked, but what other writers have inspired you? And, and do you actually read other stuff while you're writing? I find I can't. Well, I can't write, I can't read fiction when I'm writing it, you know? I used to be such a great reader. I mean, I was like number one reader. 
and then as the years have gone by and you get more busy and things you're going to read in becomes less so um and i had a, a wide range i think i was very influenced as a young drawn i should say influence is a difficult word because you never know quite where an influence begins and ends but drawn to um the theater of the post-war europe beckett and Henri and max frisch and then the writers like um then the kind of the polish quite not through any cultural way of, in my house but just out of interest the, the kind of the polish uh, new wave in theater and in film and i and films of course because i got you know i don't have much exposure to theater but i definitely went to the pictures um and i seem to so book but writers would be someone like um uh bulgarkov would I kind of the master of Margarita. I used to read about like at least once a year for years. I haven't for years now, but I used to read it like once a year. And I think I was interested in in saying things carefully because they could get you killed. So they're sort of codes that you had to use, like in the master. You know, nothing is quite. Everything is. It's kind of built in, and you'd either understand it or you wouldn't, and it would be dangerous. But what you've described are, um, from, from theatre onwards, the settings are quite sparse and it's the words that carry, you know, the story in all of those cases. And that, that's kind of perfect for radio. But you've brought in this extra element of making the English countryside almost an extra character in your work. It's not an extra character. It's it's probably the central character. It is, and also yeah. the cities as well. Like it's not just all out in the fields. It's <clears throat> streets and place, you know. And um, I think it's this feeling of that that the world's alive. Which well, it's why I mentioned Hookland because um, David Southwell talks about ghost soil. Particularly in this country, I think, you know, in countries that are very old and have been inhabited for a long, long, long time, I think there is a kind of, there's both kind of history, ghost history or the history of ghosts and a kind of collective solace in it as well, that actually like Pilgrim, it has all happened before and it will pass and it will change and it, it will become something else. Um, Do you find it hard, going, going back to the idea that he's seen it all before, I mean, I notice as I get older, I get less and less tolerant of idiots. Have you noticed that, you know, it's it's hard. It, is it hard to keep William so helpful? Well, no, they're, they're all just, well, yes, I don't they're think just all idiots doing the same mistakes with the same fairy folk, generation after generation. You know, I'd, I'd have been tearing my hair out by now and going, oh, get on with it, you know. Well, he does have his moments. Yes, he does, actually, he does. I yeah. mean, there are, there are definitely people that he... Um, I mean, I, one of the ideas of it always was I wanted a hero that didn't always succeed or that it didn't always quite work out right, you know, that he'll get halfway there and then he won't quite be right and people he should have saved can't be... You know... Um, so it was never a... I, I never wanted him to be like, and here he comes and he saved the day. It would always There would always be something that... Had, that was irretrievable or couldn't be fixed. Um, I think that makes him all the more engaging, though, the fact that he can't do it all. He isn't Superman. He's just this guy, you know, and that's what's so great about him. He is so ordinary in certain ways, you know, and, and he's not some superhero. No, and he's flawed, you know, and he doesn't, he, he cares about... Um, and he makes mistakes, you know, he doesn't always get it right. And, um, uh, you know, there's a whole season, which is where he thought a young man with like a, a nephew to him, you know, becomes um, and utterly insane and terribly dangerous. And he feels he should have seen it or he should have guessed it. And then in the end, he, he has to let them all go and it all becomes you know, horrendous. So... The big question is, are you going to continue with him and visit him every so often and give us a few more? Uh, I think, I think so. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, 
well, you know, it all depends on whether they commission me. You know, I got to, I got to, I'm at the like all I, when people to say to writers, you know, will you do write some more? You know, you know, like we have any say over whether or not someone's going to commission us to do it. Um, so, so American listeners, get out there and buy the CDs, well, please. Amongst my American listeners, I've just learned is uh, Whoopi Goldberg. So. So uh, if you are watching, Whoopi, please get in touch. And I'm doing a joint again. Um, uh, but going back to writers who were important, uh, a lot of, I mean, Ursula Le Guin, I would say, was a huge influence on me um, as a person, as much as, a, as an anthropologist, as someone serious. What I wanted to do with Pilgrim was write something, was a write a fantasy. Obviously, it's about fairies and things that most people don't acknowledge as being presences in the world, but I wanted to write about them seriously. So I didn't want, although I wanted it to be funny, I wanted there to be humor all the time, and I hope there is all the way through it. I didn't want at any point for the characters to know they were in a, a story like that. So there's no, there's no breaking down of the fourth wall, if you like, and kind of looking through and saying, you know, we all know this is all of it. No, no, I didn't. I, I didn't want to do that at all. You can't do that, I don't I think. I said we would have a rule with the actors, you know, when they would slightly ham it up or play it up. We go, we don't, we don't do that in Pilgrim. It's absolutely, absolutely straight. And that's what gives it its power. It wouldn't have worked, I don't think, if you hadn't made the grey folk so terrifying. And that's what Dan and I both particularly like, because that's how we see them. They're not, they're not Disneyfied. They're not, sweet little helpers of mankind you know they always were the ultimate enemy you know and and that's why i think it works so well i think enemy is a difficult word for me <clears throat> i think what they express is the irrational and i think what they express in terms of dramatically in terms of a story from a storytelling point of view is what they express is desire and the fulfillment of desire without um, people being very keen on gratification without necessarily the, the payment that comes with this, which is the source of thousands of stories, you know, yes, thousands exactly. of stories of yeah. that. Um, and it's not so much that they're the enemy, so much as they represent, you know, you want it really, and we can do it because we don't have any, we don't have your moral compass. They are literally another race of entities. They are, they live longer and they have different their morals are and you know when they get aggrieved they get very aggrieved and you can upset them very easily and once you do that you know you're in trouble and and that's classic that is absolute classic folklore you know and it explains the capriciousness but it also it's the way they work on our greed you know I'll exactly but they wouldn't they only they only do it because we let them I mean, they don't, they don't, some of them just do, do, do bad. Some of them get messed about with, um, some of them going to come back at you hard if they feel aggrieved by you. And I think uh, Susanna Clark absolutely does that too in her work. Very much, yeah. Are you ever, ever going to let him die? Well, it's not really up to me. <laughs> back to the commissioners again. No, no, back to the King of the Grey folk. <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah, I have to say, I love the way you give them proper titles, a Mr. or a Mrs. in each case. I think mean, that's wonderful, that respectful, slightly fearful edge. I think that works brilliantly. I think the, it's very good to keep on their good side. Should you, should you, should you stir the hornet's nest? Um, well, I went into a fairy wrath in Ireland um, this time last year. And it was with somebody who reckoned it was okay because I was with this person. And I remember knowing from my Irish roots, being terrified of going in. And I wonder if it's a coincidence I had a stroke in June. Oh, so, Yeah, oh. exactly. And I know I can't really say that. that. Not, not anything. I can't say that to many people, but there's a bit of me that thinks, I just wonder, you know, I just wonder, but there you go. The idea of immortality is fascinating and you can find it in lots of stories like, you know, um, 
like vampires in particular and just the idea of the more i listen to pilgrim the idea of william palmer living forever and me being a 45 year old man with three kids thinking wow i'd hate that i'd hate to live forever i'm kind of almost five years more and i'm done i think you know what i mean i'm kind of looking <laughs> oh, forward yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to the fact that i don't have to get up any get up in the morning um did you take any inspiration from the the immortality um element of the story yeah i mean the horror of immortality is a proper horror I mean, I, th- I mean, I, I think at the, um, I mean, the thing that I would, I mean, again, I going back to before I was ever writing it, uh, and things that I, I think about a lot. But, you know, all those people like chirogenics and people freezing their heads and want, you know, and wanting to come back and you know wanting to find it. But what's the matter with them? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's um, you know, there's lots of like, you know, there's that kind of in the Eastern philosophy of, you know, one's life is a preparation for one's death and, you know, and then the next phase of... you live it all over again. Or, you know, whatever it is, life is a roller coaster, you know. Um, I think it's a horror in it. And I think it, it, you know, nobody, as one gets older, you think more about it. You become more, you become, you start to, you start to kind of find yourself and maybe this is an element in Pilgrim that is true, that you find you become yourself, you, 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 you make terms with your mortality. You come to a, agreements with it. Um, and you are forced by dent of necessity to acknowledge its presence in your own life. And, um, and in Pilgrim's case, he's had a lot of life. You know? And I think it's, a, and it's only a thousand years. I mean, there's other immortals out there who are like, you know, <laughs> thousands more older than him. He's a, he's still a teenager in in compared to some some vampires that are knocking around. You know, I was going to say in a real base style comic con type of question. Um, yeah, cool. What would happen if William Palmer got his head chopped off, <laughs> like the Highlander? <laughs> um, because he'd probably yeah. go and he'd probably because I'd have probably... tried it by now. If I was alive for a thousand years, I'd have thought. What, chop your head off? Dan, yeah. you're, uh, you're taking a lot of... you got some kind of lovely karate, you know. <laughs> I'd just be looking for a way out, sharpish. He'd probably uh, build his own guillotine, wouldn't you, Dan? Yeah, well, yeah, he went through the French London. Revolution, so he could have um, uh, borrowed a guillotine. You're making me think of Groundhog Day, you know, where he tries to kid himself in all the different yeah. ways. He just all of a sudden yeah. wakes up and he's back to where he was. Yeah, yeah. Fairy magic. Was, I, I've never really gone into it, Dan. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, I, these are the things I, I think. Mean, one of the things I do have, which is much a nod to the vampire tradition, is that he does. They say I've never done it in, in real time in the stories, but he has said, you know, that he's sort of buried himself for a hundred years, and then he just comes out, you know, um, and then they wake just when he think they pull him back in, you know. But I think there's, I think if there's a kind of positive side to it, it's a kind of and the, the piece, if he's made a piece with it, is the curiosity. I mean, when I first came up with Pilgrim, I thought it'd be quite cool to have a hero that wants to die. I thought that would be quite a cool thing to do. And no one, I couldn't think of anyone who else would have done that, whose actually main goal is to stop it. And then that becomes quite a hard thing to write. You, because you, you, you can't, you, there's no point to it. You know, it's almost like you get to, well, it, okay, how many times can you say it? And in fact, one of the fairy characters in one of the first episodes says, you know, here we are again, you know, begging for, you know, you're never going to go. Have you ever thought about writing episodes of him back in time? Well, the very last um, full radio season, he kind of has a kind of, he goes back to when he was a stonemason on a... Oh, yes, yes, I know that. But I'm thinking about his journey after that. So no, not really. I, I really, 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 really wanted always to place it in his present wherever that would be and i wanted to put some water uh between milkmaids on hills yeah. in the 18th century and him so i wanted it to be urban i wanted it to have a kind of they're right there you just can't see them feeling all the time and i think as soon as you kind of put things in a kind of ye olde world 
think um, you immediately kind of start to kind of move into fairy tale country, you know. Right, as opposed to fairy lore. Yeah, and and certain the word of the of this year, certain tropes starts will appear. You know, you're in a you're in a um, you know, it's a bit like um, you know, once upon a time world, which is which I'm all for. You know, I'm all for. I think again, Susanna Clark absolutely does it brilliantly in Mister um, Norrell. I mean, you you absolutely feel really present in her universe, and she. You know, her depiction of 18th century London, brilliant. You know, you feel you're in it. You know, you're there. Whereas, you know, the, the temptation when you go back in time is to think, although I did have an idea, which I've never done, which maybe I shouldn't say because it's always a kiss of death. You means you never really do it. But about something, a place that had become locked in time, that was a different, that had different agenda, which is still something I'm would still be something I'd be interested in exploring, but I could never quite... Again, it's very folkloric because, you know, there's lots of tales of places locked in time, you know, so it, it does fit the theme, certainly. And, uh, I, I, but I think I'm more interested in something out of time being in time, like there's an a, a episode of Pilgrim which uh, with the centurion. Yes. He had to lock away under it, you know, for a hundred thousand, you know. And I wanted that horror of you know what the, where am i you know how awful it would be for him and when pilgrim tries to offer him an opposite he goes no i'm going back under the hill this is too much for me i don't belong here i was I, you know and um i love the idea that you would have this enormous powerful warrior you know literally totally adrift and um and wrongly humbled by his curse you know he shouldn't have been he shouldn't have been so diminished by 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 living so long or sleeping so long as he gets woken up um but it it, it i think there's and i think i'm interested in the kind of the melancholy of, of those kind of stories that if you're out of time how do you how do you fit how do you fit where do you fit well, this, this is back to cryogenics, isn't it? People, if it's possible, are going to be woken up in a culture they just can't possibly understand, you know? Well, in their case, they've got it coming to them. <laughs> Very good, yeah. They paid for it, they're going to get it, yeah. Okay. And then they'll make their own fairy reality. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is that quote about advanced technology seeming like magic. I can't remember what the exact... Yeah, all technologies feel like magic until they... I mean, look at this. Look at this. Even 30 years ago, this was magic. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it used to be... I think it was in Thunderbirds. They used to have, like, phones where you'd see someone on the other end. And, that, like, that thing can, you know... And then you think, well, that'd be awful if every time someone rings you, they can see you. You know, you might... <laughs> You might not be ready for that kind of exposure. You know, I'm glad Zoom gives you a chance before the thing comes up to check your hair. You know, I realised mine was like, <laughs> I have, I have, this is, um, so, uh, yeah. So it's ma magic is, but magic is more than just um, apparitions. And I think it goes back to resonances and feelings and the manipulation of, a kind of deeper magic, um, and that—that's Ursula Le Guin, you know, that that sense that you move the wind a little bit. You've got that though. That—that's why I think Pilgrim is so compelling. There is that really deeper sense of magic running all the way through it, you know. Um, and fairies, you think, gosh, you know, it, it seems such an unlikely subject, but I came to it completely independent of Pilgrim and then caught you later on. Um, and also, somebody recommended a series called Yord Scott. I don't know if you ever saw that. No, but I know of other... Yeah, again, it's got that sort of that deep thread of, of old magic, old lore going through, and it's so attractive. And I, I don't know why it's like nectar to certain people, but it absolutely is. It draws you like a magnet. Yeah, I think it's a sense that if you have that in you, you like, 
Yeah, I think if you are sensitive to those wilder places, I think it's wildness. I think that's a sense of that there is a wilder, more dangerous, more attractive, more seductive, more perilous reality that is like just there, like a like a like a pool you wouldn't dive into, but would be lovely. You want you'd want to. I think it, I think if you kind of feel it, or when you sit in wild places and you think you consider what all the might have happens, not so much the might have been, but the might have happens, and you have a sense that there is that anything could have happened. Um, and the and and also it's a good way to tell stories about power mad fools who want to hurt people, and it's you know the supernatural is a very great metaphorical device for discussing bigger problems. I mean, the, the last pilgrim that just went out, the Timber Bourne Rimp, is about a kid who's been exploited by, you know, drugs and drug, drug gangs. And one of those, you know, he's with no, with, with a atrocious family life, very vulnerable, doesn't know, out of his own, out of depth in every regard in his life. And a kid, you know, you, you need a character who's not going to have any illusions about the danger that boy's in the danger he's got himself in, but the world in which has placed him, you know, so you can talk about quite serious, well, definitely want to talk about serious things. It's not, whimsy's never really been my main attraction. It's more the sense of the danger of it and the, you know, but you, as you say, it's very seductive. I'm going to ask you what your favourite child is now. So if you have a favourite episode or what would it be? No, I don't. I, I, do you know what? I'm really bad at remembering them all. People are very good at remembering them all. And they'll say, in such and such, do you remember when? I think there are, there are pictures of it I like, rather than whole episodes. Like, there's an episode. I like, the, I, like them, I like the tree full of ribbons around a lake. I like the boy sleeping. I, I, always with Pilgrim, I wanted to do those things. Um, which are actually in, now I think of it, kind of slightly Victorian, but they're in Mr. Norrell as well. Those, those little oval-shaped little pencil drawings of the moment. And I definitely try to put something like that in every episode. So there's cutting the, 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 the young man's hair surrounded by thorns. Yes. You mentioned that, didn't you, Dan, the thorns one? You know, yeah, I did, um, yeah. I love the fact, again, it's Hawthorne, you know, it's just yeah, yeah, no, that's, so uh, yeah. beautifully observed. Uh, the fact that Palmer means pilgrim, you know, it's just, you've sought it out so brilliantly. Do you keep something like a Bible, you know, so you don't get mixed up? Or I don't. I, uh, I have them, and I, every now and again I will, uh, if I need to consult, like, I, you know, very occasionally I've brought characters back. And I thought, oh, I'd like to know what, find out a bit more about them. Um, but no, I don't. I, I think my Bible is really my books of folklore. Or I will, if I'm stuck, I'll go into them and, and look. Although the stories themselves are, you know, only have to as a sort of DNA thread in it rather than here is the story that I'm. I also like the structure that each one is a standalone. Yeah, that was very much the thing. I mean, that's what I liked as a, you know, when I was growing up from stories that was episteries. I, you know, I'm all for a kind of ongoing series that connects and, and everything. Um, but I wanted to write standalone, like the stories themselves. They stand alone in their own space. And was, was the four episode thing thrust upon you? Yeah, we, I think at one point the former commissioner wanted me to kind of write, you know, more but i always wanted to write pilgrim with other things i didn't just want to write pilgrim so i wrote you know lots of other original pieces and stuff while i was writing pilgrim i i didn't and you know worked on home france for a, a long time yeah um, and uh the council wanted christo and original one-off plays about i just i really wanted to keep keep the kind of the you know, lots of other ingredients in the pot rather than just writing Pilgrim, which I think might have been, um, might have been like, might have made me a bit madder, madder than I am. I, I think, I don't know, I think 
I think working on other stuff, it always helps. Nothing is wasted. No, absolutely. And I think it, it always feeds back, and I think that's possibly why, why pilgrims retain the freshness. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd hate to just write that. I mean, it wouldn't be of any joy to me just to have him, you know, uh, like now working on those other ideas I'm working on uh, that I will, you know, like to develop. I mean, I kind of resigned to the fact that Pilgrim seems to be the one that everyone, you know, goes to, and I'm delighted for it. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad you're not doing. Um, you're you're not doing a uh, a Sherlock Holmes style. You know, Arthur Conan Doyle on it. No, I I I, I mean I find the whole. I would hate to. You know, in, because of the subject matter, it would mean that you'd got to a point where you were no longer interested in those kind of those kind of resonances that we've been talking about. And I would, I would hate to 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 not be interested in that stuff anymore. You know. I think life would be much duller without it. It's a bit like the gods, you know. The, I'm, I, I'm a great believer in the gods, you know. Not because I necessarily believe, but I think the world is more interesting with the gods. In. I think it's keep. It's what makes the world interesting. I mean, maybe that goes back to what people find beguiling about pilgrimage. That you know, you, it's what you find interesting. It's what you, what you, what you, what, what, what makes the world interesting for you is the possibility of these things. To some people, there's, you know, there's like it to be what they see, what they get, boom, 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 and that's fine. But uh, Absolutely. I just don't personally understand it. But I find it interesting that you can chop and change and, and that Homefront was so very, very different from Pilgrim. Yeah, and then Elsinore after it, which was Hammondson, the kind of... Uh, uh, um, uh, I think it's about making, as a writer, it's about constantly wanting to go you know the cliches of you know wanting to go forward but also just to keep being bold and making bold decisions i mean there's an area where you could go well, i could i could just write pilgrim forever and i'll just sit and sit in that reality and and that may yet come to pass but um um i hope not you know i want you want to kind of keep making bolder and um, and wilder decisions a bit like um i've just been reading piranesi too you know i i fantastic you know and it's uh, in every regard and it's like well it's great that um you know she could have i suppose she could have sat in the world of that extraordinarily endlessly rich world but decided no i'll go i think people wanted her to but that's a story for another day because i am hoping to interview her as well oh well thank you very much for me well, no, it's brilliant. She, I was very lucky. She sent me Piranesi a month before it came out, and I was just longing for other people to talk to about it, you know. But you've got such a fan base here. It's just amazing, and I'm, I'm more and where more aware. Here? Yeah, no, I don't quite know where here is. I just mean generally in England, you know, in the UK. Um, in Wales, you've got a lot of followers in Wales, definitely, you know. Well, you know, maybe if anyone wants me to come and talk to them, I'm happy to do it. Well, funnily enough, um, I am hoping to start a writer's retreat. And I would love you. I've got Horatio Clare signed up. I don't know if you know him. Yeah. Um, uh, Ramsey Campbell is coming. If you could, if you would be interested at all, it's a beautiful stately home. We just need you for... Do maybe now that I'm writing can, for if radio. This madness lets us, you know, I'm happy to um, happy to do it. I mean, I'm always a great believer in kind of, you know, I'm not precious about anything like that. I think it's really good to uh, get out there and Well, yes, I I think this is what happens with people who have a lot of good ideas. They're always happy to share. It's the ones who are sort of, you know, hanging on to a sliver of maybe nothing in particular who are the ones who don't seem to want to you know but that's that's just my theory um but going back to the whole what i was going to say you mentioned the elsinore which is the prequel to hamlet you've mentioned shakespeare before he's full of fairies you know i just wondered is there you know explain your love of shakespeare please well i went through a non-love of shakespeare um and I, I, I got to a point where I, I felt, you know, what would it be if we just had an embargo on Shakespeare for one year and did no Shakespeare for one year? You know, you get it all back again, in, but just one year where other work could come up. 
you know, and uh, um, but that's that's a different. That's not really about Shakespeare. And how but, did you survive your year? Did you find yourself? No, it never happened, did it? It's never happened. They've never got rid of him. Um, I, I mean, Shakespeare is sort of like Chaucer as well. A kind of slightly the music of our culture. You know, it's the it's we all come from it if we write in English and have been brought up in this tradition. Um, and interestingly, even writers who, when they start, go, I want nothing to do with Shakespeare, you know, as they get older, well, you, you kind of just, you just like give in, you know, he's, it, it's, I think the things that I love about Shakespeare were the size of it and the good storytelling of it, as much as, as much as the poetry of it and all the rest of it, the actual, just the good storytelling of it was um, enormously important to me. I grew up in Warwickshire. My father was a stonemason who worked on various churches around Warwickshire, including the one where Shakespeare's parents were married. But he was Irish, and he had probably a better love of Shakespeare than a lot of English people. And there's that wonderful line in Angela's Ashes, surely Shakespeare was an Irishman, which I think is great. You know, again, it's all the storytelling side of it very much, you know? Oh, absolutely. I think that you can't... Um you know, the Irish do pretty well, you know. So, uh, so no, there's definitely, uh, it's definitely um, a huge, a huge influence. And at the same time, something I kind of, you recognize as being a, you know, I worked in Shakespeare and been around it. I don't reach for it. It's, he's not someone I, I reach for, but whenever I'm there, I'm there, you know, it's great. There's no question about Shakespeare, really. It's just for to say, it's a bit like people say, having arguments about, like, um, not, it's the same, really the same thing at all, but like, when people say about, they hate Paul McCartney, it's like, because he wrote The Frog Court. Well, Paul, Paul McCartney wrote all of that. That's just incredible. So let's just stop it, shall we? <laughs> Brilliant. So um, back to Palmer, back to William Palmer. Have you got any plans to incorporate? sort of other cultures, other folklore, particularly Irish or Polish or anything? I do and I don't. I kind of just, I, that's why I keep it all kind of like, I don't have any pressure. I'm not precious about where the story comes from or what, where the thing comes from. I'll, I'll look all over the place. I mean, he tends to kind of live here. I think it's partly, he's not going to go migrate. No, I, I was kind of working out how on earth he'd get a passport and stuff like that anyway, really. Oh, he's so rich. He can do anything. <laughs> That's through all the books, yes, all that he's collected. And all the years of stuff, you know, and I, I, um, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't think in that regard anything gets, nothing like that would, would stop him. It wouldn't phase him at all, would it? No. So, I think... I am out of questions for now, but it's been absolutely brilliant. And thank you so much for agreeing to oh, do it. I'm absolutely yeah. knocked out, you know. Thank you. It's been, uh, it's been wonderful. And as I say, I binged watched five seasons in three days and uh, I've got the rest to go through. So I'm really looking forward to listening more about William well, I'm not Palmer. sure it's good for your head to do five seasons all in a go, you know. I think it's <laughs> not the crown. <laughs> No, no, but I can. I can. I, I, I've got the studio. Yeah, I've got the studio, and uh, I've got the dog. So the kids are at school. So I just, you know, turn it up and listen while I'm working. And it's amazing how it creates, you know, the story in my head. I'm not really a huge listener of audio books or radio plays, to be honest, because I've just never, never really had, never, you know. But I've definitely found a new love for it. It's great. I've really enjoyed it. And I've, as soon as I get in the studio, I'm straight back on to where I left off on Audible. And, uh, Thanks, Dan. That's great news. Well, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm always amazed. I mean, it's just delightful when you hear that. I, you think, well, I must be doing something right. You know, you never really know when you're making work. You're, you're it's exactly it. the same as binge watching on Netflix, but the actual visuals are in your head. And for me, that's great because, you know, I've, my imagination's pretty wild. So, some of the things might appear in my head slightly different, differently as you interpreted them in the show, but um, it's still hugely entertaining That's from my you. perspective. It's all up to you. You're the budget. <laughs> yeah. It was a high-budget production in my head, I can tell you that. Exactly. exactly. You're the, you've got the... That's the beauty of the... That's the beauty of, of audio and radio. 
I mean, as much as it feels like, it always feels like, oh, really, have I got to do this? And then you kind of do it, oh, it's marvellous. I don't know why that always, it's, it, I guess it's just not as easy. Well, I think someone said it's always the best scenery on radio, and I think that's absolutely true, you know? Yeah, and, I, you know, and if you can do it right on television, that, that's great too, but I think you can, you know, it's the bending of reality and it's your own reality or something. I can't, I cannot imagine Pilgrim as a TV series. I think it would spoil it. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Oh, I wouldn't mind it because it would be good to kind of keep working. So uh, I won't say no to it. But um, I was going to say it would. It'd be, it'd be almost like when they turned the um, all of the J.R. Tolkien films in a series of books into films. It kind of ruined it for a lot of people because the first, you know, for decades they've been reading these books and they developed their own images in the head and then it was all on the big screen and it kind of shatters the illusion so as, as fiona said I, yeah, I, I hope yeah it. i think there's always a danger i mean i don't know i i think that i think if you can do it right it would be you know if you keep it true to yeah i've, I've had this conversation just last night with the chap in america and we were saying he was talking about cloud atlas saying how he did not like the film but loved the book and I see them as separate works. Like a lot of people who love Dune hated the original Dune movie. But I, I love both of them, but for different reasons. So, yeah. you know, who knows? Maybe maybe William on screen would work. Who, who did you see in your head as Pilgrim originally? Nobody. I never see anybody. I see them. I see the character that I'm... You know, I get asked that question to the frustration of producers all the time you know who, who do you see as this and i go i don't know them i see them i don't know i, don't I, know I think that that probably comes from people i mean like alan moore who very very clearly saw constantine looking like sting and then dear old keanu reeves turned up in the movies and he was really a bit annoyed about that you know because he was so the polar opposite you know i don't know anything about constantine so many people say it's with pilgrim and I, i've never i've never read it i don't know anything about it no i don't see a likeness there it, it's it's uh, a very I'm, different it's vibe like, it seems to be a very different kind of a genre to to pilgrim that whole again it's that when you know it's what works in that genre really well but i i don't do it I don't do what they do. But I've, I've never really done content, but I know some of Alan Moore's other work. I just think that is absolutely brilliant. Thank you so very much. We finally did it, Fiona. Congratulations on doing this. It's great. Oh, and, and good luck with all your future projects. Thanks again. Bye. You're listening to The Fairy Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Fairy Podcast. Well, I'm sure you'll agree that was a fantastic interview and thanks once again for Sebastian for taking time out in his day to talk to us about Pilgrim. And we really have to give credit to the amazing Mark Beebe and Jessica Dromgul who have produced Pilgrim since the beginning. And although it's not being broadcast at the moment, you get the odd episode popping up here and there on Radio 4. You can get it in CD form, which has gone through the roof price rise because I got um, all series on two sets of CDs. I think they were less than £20 each. And now I think they're going for well over £100, aren't they? So they're like gold dust. So if you see one anywhere, grab it. But in the meantime, I understand you can listen to it on Audible. I know you've been doing that, haven't you, Dan? You can, yeah. It is by far the easiest way to get hold of Pilgrim and by far the cheapest as well. So if you have an, an Audible subscription, obviously each credit is £7 and you can get seasons one to four for £7 and then and then Pilgrim series five to seven for another £7. And then there's also a special Pilgrim the Winter Queen um, which is a, uh, a special show. So you can get all of those for £21 and they're available on Audible and you can just get them right now. That is the easiest and most convenient way of listening to this fantastic show. And we really do recommend it, seriously. It's For anybody who's into folklore, fairies, anything like that, it's, it's nectar, isn't it? It's just brilliant. His, his um, encyclopedic knowledge of folklore is just incredible. And it doesn't read heavy for all of that. It's it's just got that lightness of touch, but with that huge 
breadth of learning behind it, which is really interesting. And I think you were quite starstruck during that interview, weren't you, Fiona? I know you were quite excited on the run-up to it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, my goodness me, anyone who's a fan of Pilgrim, to be able to talk to the actual creator of such an amazing personality with such an amazing many lifetimes, it's just incredible. So, yeah, so that was wonderful. So, next episode, episode 10 of the Fairy Podcast. Tell us, Dan, what are we going to be doing? Well, we have another interview hopefully lined up. Um, with a, a man called Paul Sinclair, who is well known for his research into the paranormal and UFOs on the um, East Riding of Yorkshire. However, he is also very interested in folklore and fairy folklore and how these could be connected with these sorts of sightings that are being reported in that area. So although you may have heard him on other podcasts primarily talking about anomalous lights and UFOs, we're actually going to get him on the show and we're going to talk about his research from a different angle, which I think is going to be very interesting. So he's going to be on the show next. So we're hoping to record that within the next few weeks. So I anticipate um, episode number 10 of the Fairy Podcast should be with you um, in the first few weeks of December. And another thank you again to Sebastian for that fab interview. It was so cool talking to him. It was. So stay in touch. If you have any fairy experiences you like us to cover in the show, then please either contact us on the Facebook page at The Fairy Podcast or just drop us an email at Dan or Fiona at thefairypodcast.com. And until next time, take care and we'll see you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. Subscribe via your favourite podcast streaming service and follow us on Facebook and YouTube.